normally if I had the wireless mic, I could be all slick about it and uh, do it. But yeah, so we have these words. And so we, we've kind of gone through the big words. And today our word is, and we don't have the big screen, so there'll be no drum rolls or any of that weird stuff. But today we're, we're, we're speaking about the word joy. And this uh, seems like a pretty straight ahead word, but the Bible has uh, got a very rich meaning. And there's a lot, there's a lot I don't want to say baggage, but there's a lot tied to this word. And, uh, you know, so we try to sing songs about joy. You've heard a lot of these words. This is a very Christian word, right? Especially around Christmas time, right? Like great joy and all these things. So anyways, what I want to do is I want to read our, our text for the day, which comes out of James chapter 1, verse 2. And uh, then we'll dive into this word here. So let's uh, read it, and then I'll pray. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, for the opportunity to, to study your word today, to meditate, to reflect on what it means to be full of joy like you, Jesus. We ask for an enlightenment. We ask for your spirit to open our eyes and ears and uh, just fill us to the overflow today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So also in Galatians 5.22, uh, when uh, the Apostle Paul is listing out the fruit of the Spirit, the, the second one he lists is joy. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. What's number two? Joy. joy. That's exactly right. So this word, it's like, well, this is something now that we know that the Spirit of God is going to be actively involved in. And I want that in the back of your head to think about that. I'm not going to spend a lot of time harping on it, but just realize all these things, like holiness, right, we talked about that, these are all things that the Spirit actually helps us to develop and, and understand. But I think if I was to ask you what joy meant, would it be fair to say that most of you would say happiness? Raise your hand. If you, like, when you think joy, you think happiness. Cheerfulness, right? General good mood. Got a lot of joy today. I feel good. I think that's I think that's fair. But if we think about the text we just read in James, if we said, "Count it all happiness, my brothers, when you fall into different, different trials," it's like, wait a minute, that that seems kind of loose on the translation, there, right? That doesn't like I should should I be happy that I've lost my job, right? If we think about it, right? No, I don't think the Bible is telling us that, right? So joy must mean something a little bit different, and I don't think we're wrong for thinking that. I think it's definitely tied to a frame of mind here. But we see is if you start using that word happiness and you plug it in there, it's like, wait a minute, this doesn't quite, does that make sense what we're doing here? It's like, well, if I take a synonym and is this really lining up? And sometimes some Bible translations do that, unfortunately. Like there's a, I forgot which translation it is, but there's a, Jesus is on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are those who are meek, right? And then they, they change the word blessed to happiness because they're trying to, trying to like, happy are those who are persecuted. It's like, yeah, happy's not really the right word, right? It should be blessed. And so this is the problem we have with joy because as Christians, we talk about having joy and what it should mean. And if we just plug in the word happiness, we realize like sometimes you may not even reflect on it, but we start to feel like failures. It's like, man, I'm not happy. I'm in, I'm in a difficult season. But things really aren't working out. And then you start to think, it's like, well, the Bible sure asked me to do a lot of weird things. And I think somewhere deep in our mind, we start to have a disconnect with what the Bible's asking us to do how we and how we're processing our emotions. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But to uh, to let you know that you're not wrong, as the Oxford Dictionary does define uh, ha- uh, joy as the feeling of great pleasure or happiness, right? So if you raise your hand, you're right on the money with the Oxford Dictionary. Um, also, if you're taking notes and you're curious about this, joy, uh, you know, we're speaking as a noun, but it can be a verb in the Bible. So sometimes when you see the word uh, rejoice, that's joy. That's the same root word right there. So we can we can make this an action. So joy is expressed through rejoicing, right, through song. And so if you're, you're going through and you're studying the Bible and you see these words that seemed like uh, an action motivated by joy, that's, this is the same idea. So our goal today then is to 
what does the Bible mean when it tells me to have all joy when I encounter various trials? I think that's our, that's my goal today. So first, what I wanted to do is to have a maybe a history of joy and what it means. And to me, this uh, this starts in, in ancient Israel uh, when they were uh, taken as slaves to Egypt. They were, they were a captive nation. And they were held in bondage. And you say, boy, this is a weird way to start off a message on joy. It's just an enslavement of an entire nation. But the root in joy is, is God uh, delivers this nation. Amen? Amen? And the people rejoice. But what happens to Israel is they're actually going to be taken into bondage again. Does anyone know who takes them next after Egypt? It's Babylon. That's exactly right. right? So they're once again carried away and they're enslaved people. Right? And so what joy does is in, when you read the prophets and you start understanding how the word joy is used in the Bible is the people of Israel reflect on the fact that they were slaves and God liberated them. And even though they're slaves again, their hope is in the future that they'll be liberated again. Right? So Tim Mackey says this. He says, joy is rooted in the past and looks to the future. If we were to say this another way, it says joy looks at what God has done in the past and projects this onto the future. That's what joy is. So you can see the people of Israel looked and saw that God, with an outstretched mighty hand, delivered Israel from slavery and bondage in Egypt. And even though I find myself in slavery now, my God can deliver me again. And then that starts to lift your spirits, right? This idea is like, imagine if you're in prison, and then you get broken out of prison, and you get back in prison, and you know the same guy that broke you out last time is out there working on the lock. That's what joy is. You're happy, right? It sounds wild, but that's the biblical definition of joy, is understanding what God has done in the past, knowing that he will do it again in the future. Amen? Amen. It's rooted in the past, looking at the future. Right? And I'm going to give you my whole synopsis right now at the very end. That's how we can have joy in trials. Right? Because even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he is with me. He will walk me out of that valley. Amen? Amen. And that is of great encouragement. And that is what biblical joy is. Doesn't mean you're enjoying it in the moment, but your your heart attitude can be one of joy because you know you will be delivered. Amen? I love that. So joy rooted in the past, looking at the future. Now, I put in my notes here, I want to do a mini sidebar. This isn't long because I am famous for my rabbit trails and sidebars. But today I'm really only talking about the negative side when you're going through tough times. Because there is a positive side of joy. You don't have to, you can have biblical joy when everything is going right. Right? And we do have seasons like that. Has anyone ever had a season where it seems like everything is going right? Yes. Hopefully all of you have walked, had your day in the hot, hot sun, as Nacho Libre says, right? You've had this day where everything is just working out perfectly. And then we've all had, we've walked to the valley of shadow of death. Has anyone done that too? Where it's like, man, is this ever going to end? Is it ever going to stop raining on me, right? And uh, so I'm not spending a lot of time when things are right. But my sidebar is, is, is learn to enjoy those moments. And the Bible says when we have joy in them, is to rejoice, right? Is to always be giving thanks. Is to appreciate that season. And knowing that good seasons don't last forever and bad seasons don't last forever. That we're always walking with the Lord. Amen? Amen. So enjoy it. And I don't mean that sarcastically. Enjoy it, buddy, because it's all downhill from here. Uh, I don't think it's like that. But All right. So joy does not mean that you're hurting or suffering uh, in the moment. It doesn't mean anything. Right? Let me say that again. 
is that just because the Bible tells you you have joy doesn't mean that your hurting and suffering uh, isn't justified or you can't express pain. So the biblical idea of joy is not one of these ones where, have you ever been like uh, sad? Let's use the word sad. That's kind of a nebulous word, but let's say borderline depressed, right? You just, you're going through it. And somebody says, well, just cheer up. (laughs) Does anyone, I'm asking a lot of questions of you today, but you know that doesn't help, right? We all know this. Yeah, it makes it worse. Now now I'm angry and depressed, right? (laughs) But, you know, and and people normally do that from from a good place, right? It's like, man, if you just, just smile. I, apparently, that's the thing now. You can't ask ladies to smile. Uh, uh, I don't know if you're aware of that. But anyways, just, you should smile more. It makes you pretty. Like, like These are deeply offensive things. Uh, but I do think there's something about physically, you know, there's something in that, but whatever. Um, when we're going through a tough time, and then a Christian says, oh, the Bible says to have joy. Just cheer up. I, I think this is not a healthy approach, right? Because having problems and trials and tribulations doesn't mean you don't acknowledge what's happening. And it doesn't mean you don't process these emotions and these feelings, right? The death of a loved one, right? You know, the Bible telling you to have joy doesn't just mean it's like, oh, I should just cheer up. Process these things, right? And and to think, think deep about that. And we have the perfect example of this in Jesus. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, if we know anything about Jesus, on the night he was about ready to go to the cross, he has like the, the biggest panic attack where he is sweating drops of blood. Amen? And he's crying out to the Father, Father, is there any other way I don't want to do this? Are you all familiar with that? But the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The Bible also says of Jesus that he was anointed with joy the, uh, the King James says, above all his fellows, above all his companions. The Bible says Jesus had more joy than anyone. It said he was anointed with the oil of joy. So how can this man be full, so full of joy that he could endure the cross and yet be sweating blood crying out, don't let me go through this. Find another way. So we find that joy is living in the presence of this great pain and terror, right? They're living together. So denying the reality of what you're going through I would argue that's very, very unhealthy, right? Because some tr- people try to fake their way through these things. Oh, the Bible tells me to be have be joy, be faith, be faithful, all these kind of things. And Jesus is such a great example. He looks at the joy on the other side, and that is what carries him through to be able to endure the cross. The writers of Hebrews says. Then you have to ask the question: Well, what is the joy that was set before him? He completed the plan of salvation. He saw us. I think. I think when he looked at the cross and he saw the pain he was about to endure. I think he sees the millions and millions of countless souls that he brings with him. Amen? And he could do he could do all things through Christ, right? Like he, he could do it all. And we're to look at it like that same way. When you're looking at something impossible and you don't want to deal with it, you're just scared of what's going to happen. Some people face, you know, medical uncertainty, right? Like, oh, I, I've got to go and get this lump tested. Or maybe you've been diagnosed with something. Or maybe you have to go talk to a loved one that you've been estranged from and you're just... You know, just abject terror, right? You're just like, man, I'm, you're going through it. Remember Jesus for the joy that was set before. Imagine on the other side of that, coming out of that. And that joy, like it begins to do something. It starts to stir up faith. It starts, it starts to really work in you, friends. If you really think about all the things God can do and not meditating on everything that could possibly go wrong, we know it could go wrong. Amen? But the 
Bible says to ask, to come to Jesus and ask him, right? Is God a deliverer? Yes. Is God a healer? Yes. Will he ever forsake or leave you? Did he say that he would walk through the valley of the shadow of death? The psalmist says, if I make my bed in hell, you are there with me. There's nowhere that you can go to hide from God. Friends, even if you haven't heard his voice and it feels like you're praying to a silent heaven, he's there. I promise you. I promise you he's there. Amen? These are good things. In Acts 13, uh, 48-52, we have this wonderful story. Listen to this. It says, And when the Gentiles heard this, the gospel, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and many were appointed to eternal life, and they believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standings and the leading men of the city and stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. And they drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. It's amazing to see that these early disciples are being driven out of a city. They're being persecuted. And if you read Paul's story, you find out, you know, they, they pelt him with rocks. They stone him. Like, they're trying to kill this guy, right? This isn't just like, hey, we're going to ask you nicely to leave this city. Like, this is, they stirred up a bunch of wealthy people, right? And they, uh, I mean, they incited a riot to drive these two people physically out of the city. And it says they were filled with joy, right? Have you ever stopped and meditated on these kind of things? Like, boy, this is terrible. Because if Trace and I said, hey, we're going to go plant a church in Seattle, and we fly all the way up there, and they drive us out of the city, right? I would think, man, I think we just failed, right? But the exact opposite happened. These guys were highly encouraged that they were filled with joy. So sometimes you have to think of the things that are happening to you and really reflect on it. Is this furthering? Is this proof that God is working in and through me? Amen? Because I would argue that if you've never been persecuted, if you haven't gone through trials and tribulations, I don't think God is working through you because we're going to read something interesting here. Oh, man, I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, no, I'm not. Uh, so here in my notes, I wrote this if you're taking notes. We never suffer for just the sake of suffering. There's always a greater good at work. Amen? So when you're going through things in your life, I, I, want, I really kind of challenge you to really think about it that it's not for nothing. Now, sometimes our own suffering is because of our own stupid has anyone ever made a decision and they've suffered for it? Yeah, that happens, right? And that's actually the consequence of sin, right? We, we've done something, we violated it, and now you pay the price. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about external things that happen. We've all had things in our life where, through whatever, it seems like very unfortunate circumstances, it something now affects us, right? Or something out of our control or something I didn't cause through my own stupidity. It's never just for the sake of suffering. God does not like his people suffering for the sake of suffering. Now, I'm not going to dive super deep into this, and you can challenge me on that. Uh, and some people like cite Job, but remember, God did not cause Job's suffering, right? Somebody else did that. But Romans 8:28 it says this, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to His purpose. This is, a, I mean, one of the most comforting scriptures. All things work together for good. That it means no matter what you're going through, if we let it have its process, it will turn out for your good. Amen. And it's almost, we all go through things where this seems impossible. How can this possibly turn into something good? I want to go back to the text we started with in James. And he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, 
Listen to this. It says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So here's the point. Here's why God allows tests and trials and all these things to happen. Because he says, when you go through trials, that strengthens your faith. Right? Because you have to trust in somebody. That make sense? Like you go through something, it builds this faith muscle. And once that faith muscle begins to build up, that begins to build steadfastness. Right? That means you're you stand. Having done all to stand, you stand. You learn how to stand in adversity. You don't faint at trials and tribulations. Have you ever met Christians like that? When when the wind blows, they're the ones not moving. And sometimes the wind blows, you watch who scatters, right? COVID was a lot like that within the church. It's amazing when we could come back, how few people across the United States didn't come back to church, right? The winds of adversity blew across the nation. And not everybody was found standing after it was over. But James teaches us that even once you've built steadfastness, it says that you may be perfect, lacking nothing, right? So this is the process of sanctification, right? That all the point of trials and tribulations is to help sanctify us, to learn to trust the Lord, to be able to stand in adversity. What God really wants out of you, friends, is to trust him. Those that come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. We've talked about this. Whenever Jesus healed somebody, he says, do you believe I'm able to do it? He wants your trust. That's what he wanted out of Israel, to trust him, right? You believe I'm able to do this. And he says, so let trials have its perfect work. And he starts off the thing, he's like, count it all joy. So how can you have joy in trials? You know, it's like, you know what? God is actually doing something in me. The proof that you're going through something is proof positive that God is developing you. Do you see that? He wants to increase your faith. That's why you should count it all joy. Not because, hey, great, my life sucks. <laughs> this is really great. I'm glad this is happening. This is wonderful. <laughs> I want to, you know, drive off the Coronado Bridge. That's not what he's after. You know what he's after? He's like, hey, you know what? I can have joy in this terrible circumstance because I know God is going to see me through it and I will be better for having gone through this. It doesn't mean it's fun, like Jesus going to the cross. It doesn't mean you're going to necessarily enjoy it, but you can have biblical joy. Right? When you have nothing else to be hopeful or thankful about, you can pause and say, Lord, thank you that you're doing something through this. The Bible says, in all things, give thanks. That seems like such a crazy command. How could I possibly give thanks? You know, when my wife wants to leave me, I'm losing my job, right? I, you know, I, I've got no close relationships. You can just go through all your, you know, your country song, right? Only my dog loves me, and now my dog died, right? And you can how do I give thanks in this? If you could get outside of your own head and pause for a second and remember that all things, if you are called according to God's purposes, it says good can and will come out of this. Amen? Amen. And then that is the kernel of joy. Just like the guy in prison. I, I heard once and, and it was somebody trying to explain what hell is like. And they said, even like if you had to, sp like, so we all know the sand on the beach. And it says, hey, if you were locked into prison, but you knew you would get out of prison after a bird came and grabbed a, a drop of sand. Every year it only grabbed one, one kernel of sand, one piece of sand. But you would be released from prison after all the sand on the earth was removed. It says you would still have a sliver of hope because you knew that one day, however billions of years later, the bird would grab that last piece of sand. So what hell is, is knowing that no bird will ever grab the sand. There's no hope. 
And I was like, wow, that's a great way to think about it. Because even if there's just a possibility of deliverance, right, the smallest little piece of light, there's enough hope there. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Just all we need is that little piece. And to me, that's what joy gives you. Because when you're walking through the valley of shadow of death, where people often miss it as they go into these deep depressions and, and these great funks, and then it's hard to believe and have faith in God, right? The Bible says you have not because you ask not. We just we get in this crazy uh, loop where we're just so self-defeating and we're being destroyed by our own devices. And James says, have joy. And to me, joy is that little shimmer of light that comes in there and says, you can be delivered. And it's tough hearing it from a guy like me because I am an eternal optimist. You know, those kind of people where, you know, whatever, my house will burn down. I might be angry, but just my general body chemistry and wiring is I'll probably have a smile on my face shortly thereafter. An optimist with an anger problem. That's probably what it is. <laughs> you get your guitars, yeah, oh, I will grab my guitars. I'll have my wife grab, help me. Audrey, get the guitars. Um, no, but you see what it, uh, but some people aren't wired like the way it's like, it's the glass is always half empty. And this is more of a challenge for you. you got to work at this, right? Thinking about God's deliverance. And that's why the scripture reminds us, it says, it says, forget not all his benefits. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. you got to remind yourself. you got to write these things down. You've got to remember what God has done in your life. If you have no testimony personally, ask other people. Read your Bible. It's got tons of testimonies of the great deliverances of God. What I thought would be extremely appropriate now is uh, I was talking to Pastor Trace yesterday, and he was sharing this amazing testimony of something happened. Uh, and so, Trace, if I could call you up here, brother. Uh, I want Trace to tell the story. Uh, I was just going to repeat it, but I think it means more coming from the man who, who experienced it and saw it. So give me a second. I want to share a testimony, and we'll wrap up and kind of talk about what this looks like. Yeah. I figured I'd start out by asking a question also. At any point in your life, think like from early adulthood till now, have you ever been short on rent money? Raise your hand real high. It's like the first is coming up, and I'm not sure how I'm going to pay it. Okay. What are some of the feelings that you feel when it's a week before the rent is due and you don't have all the money? Give me some words. Desperation. Joy. Good job, Dan. Yeah. Desperation, I heard. That's pretty more realistic. What else? Fear. Fear. Madness. Like angry. Like, yeah. What else? Defeated. Defeated. These are not good experiences, right? <laughs> this is not a good time, uh, regardless of the circumstances. So many of you know my son is in seminary. He's in Texas, and he's trying to go through this experience without taking out any loans. And so he's he's hustling. And what he hustled for in Southern California was easier than it is in Texas. So he's been struggling just to kind of make ends meet. And the, um, the rent is due. Obviously, it was due. Um, he he was with us in Georgia. That was a, a huge blessing. But he had shared that he was $350 short for his rent that was due in uh, less than a week at that time. Uh, and I didn't know that. He had t- told Christy that. And so we're sitting together next to each other on Tuesday at one of the evening services for the pillar retreat. And he gets this crazy look in his eyes. On, on, and he pulls his phone up and he shows me his phone. And there's this pending deposit from, uh, what is it, DoorDash. 
I was like, cool, you're getting money. That's awesome, dude. Then it was um, $350. And at the time, I didn't know what was going on until he told me what was going on. And then my crazy looks was like, what are you doing, Lord? Like, it was... It was incredible. Like, I don't know if you've ever experienced that. There's a very specific need. You feel desperate, angry, <laughs> hopeless, like all these kinds of things, and then God answers exactly what you need. Like the world can dismiss this as like, oh yeah, it was just, you know, a coincidence or all these kinds of things. That's God's hand working in the midst of that situation. Now was he freaking out? Was he worried? Stressed, anxious, fearful, and all the things that you described, he was those things. He hit it pretty well because I didn't know what was going on, but my wife knew. <laughs> but isn't that just like God? It'll be okay, I promise. <laughs> and I'll just share one more thing before Mike comes up. One of the guys who started this whole project was asking me and Christy when we showed up, hey, how's Adrian doing? And we just shared a little bit of the story of, you know, he's... He's uh, hustling, and he may have to slow down a little bit to get a job to maybe make things work. And he goes, why? <laughs> Has he ever fundraised before? We're like, no, to go to school? He goes, actually, that's pretty common for people to give money to people that are going to seminary. I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then I didn't think anything else about it. Well, the last night of the retreat, one of the guys gets up and says, hey, we're a family. And we have an opportunity to help one of our family members out who's going to school who we know has a purpose on his life, and we don't want to see him take his foot off the accelerator. We don't want him to slow down to have to do the things that he wants to do. So as a family, we're going to raise some support for this guy. We're going to, we're going to meet his needs so that he can actually lean into the ministry that he wants to do and not have to worry about missing all these ministry opportunities just to make ends meet. And so we had people come up after, afterwards like, hey, we love Adrian. We love what he's doing. We're giving $100 a month. We're given this month. We're, we're, we're going to make it. We're going to make it work, and he's going to be okay. So those two things are just a very, very small example of God's faithfulness, and the fact that. And I'll let Mike share a little bit about kind of where he was going with this whole joy. Excuse me, joy in the midst of trials, because one of the things that he said that I wrote down is one of the reason we can have joy in difficulties is because we see the evidence of what he's done in the past. Even if it's not in our own lives, but especially when it's our, our, our own lives. And when we were talking about this yesterday, he goes, just imagine next time Adrian's in the situation, which we're, we're all in these situations, where there's a need, a specific need, what is his response going to be in the midst of that difficulty? It's likely going to be joy in anticipation of God working as he has done in the past. And that's just exactly the point of, of the, the message in the text. And, and the fact that God did that this week, knowing that Mike was going to be preaching on this, like God wants, to, wants you to hear this specific example and the story of God's faithfulness again and again and again. That's, just, that's who he is what he does. Yeah, thanks, brother. Uh, and, and to me, that is exactly what that looks like, right? So this is my challenge to you. you 
know, so we always want to have an action item. Like, I know that's kind of our thing now where it's like, learning about the Bible is great, but we need to be able to apply it, right? Like, knowledge not applied is, is not good. It's just, you, you'd be very good at Bible Jeopardy, right? Uh, but we don't want that. What wisdom is, is knowledge correctly applied. So there's a scripture in Nehemiah 8.10. It says, And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Write that down, Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You've heard this before. So here's your challenge. I want you to really meditate on why would Nehemiah say that? Why is the joy of the Lord my strength? Why would joy be considered strength? Meditate on it. I'm not going to answer it for you, but that's my challenge to you, to think about that. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The Holy Spirit said through Paul, actually he said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Right? So, we, so this idea of grace being strength, joy being strength, why are these things strengths? I, I pray the message has blessed you. But I'll tell you, after decades I've, I've been a Christian, God has never once not delivered. Amen? seen dark times, I've seen rough things, always been delivered through it. And eventually one day I will die, and the Bible says to be dead is, is to even be better because you'll be with the Lord, amen? Eventually one day I will lose the battle, but that would be to my benefit too. <laughs> Come to find out I even win. Even if you die, you win, amen? All things work together for good who is called according to his purposes, amen? Let's pray, and then we will take communion together. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for, this, uh, for this word. Father, we thank you that you have told us to have joy. And we know that is the fruit of the Spirit, that we don't have to manufacture this on our own. But you, Holy Spirit, can remind us and well this joy up from the inside. So, Father, we pray for that. We pray for just a yielding of your Spirit, that those that are in dark times right now, Father, those that see no light at the end of the tunnel, they don't know how you will do it, Father. I just pray for that light to shine in there. It's not for them. The Lord says it's not for you to figure out how, Right? He says, just know that he is able to. The Lord is more than able to deliver, to heal, to redeem. So, Father, we look to you now. We trust in your ways. We trust in your will, Father, knowing that you have us and you hold us. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.